Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning and good to have those of you that are joining us from your homes this morning as well here at the Oasis. Uh, before the message this morning, uh, next Saturday is baptism. And uh, if you would like to be baptized, even if you haven't signed up yet, I would like to meet with you uh, right after the service for just a few moments down front. So uh, any of you that want to be baptized next Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, please meet me after the service is over. And uh, also I wanted to remind that we always have a big group of those that are sort of wanting to attend to cheer on those that are being baptized. And if you need directions or instructions of how to get there, we have flyers on the information table back there. You can pick one of those flyers up. It gives you directions to Toby and Marsha's house and uh, all the pertinent information about that. First Samuel chapter 21 this morning as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about our God is he obviously anticipates our needs even before we know we have them. <laughs> And the reason I say that this morning is because of literally the events of the Middle East, things literally and figuratively blowing up over there, um, I have sensed fear rising in people, both Christian and non-Christian. And these next two messages over these next two Sundays really are all about fear, um, in fact, the worship songs that we've already sung this morning, a lot of them just, again, wanting to center us on God. Because there's a few things that I want to share before we even get into the chapter this morning. First of all, I want to go back to something I said Wednesday night. Uh, our lives can be lives that are maturing in Christ. And the concept of maturing is a moving picture that lasts for a lifetime, okay? But then there's another concept called spirituality. Spirituality is not a moving picture. It's a snapshot of where we are at any particular or given time in our walk with God. And we can be, like David, a man after God's own heart, moving and progressing in our walk with God, and yet at any given time, if you took a snapshot of our life, there's going to be times where it's like, ooh, I didn't do very well there. I wasn't very spiritual there. Because spirituality has to do with, are we at that moment in time filled with the Spirit? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we aligning ourselves with God? And we all know there's going to be snapshots of our life, even though overall we're moving in a positive direction, that that particular snapshot, that particular day, that week, that month, not very good. That's David, where we're going to find him today. Which also then is again another reminder for us that David has done so well up to this point, and yet here it's like he tanks which again is an inspiration and encouragement to us that we're either moving forward every day or we're moving backward. 
which is why we've got to maintain that everyday connection and communion and fellowship with God. Because at any given moment, we could have done wonderfully for a period of time and then all of a sudden have a really bad season or period of time or day in our life. That's where David is at at this point. He is on the run. And let me say this, though, about David. I wonder if any of us would do any better under similar circumstances. I mean, David is beginning a 10 to 12 year period of his life where he's on the run for his life. Think about that. I mean, he's already had six attempts on his life by Saul. And now for the next 10 to 12 years, and he's probably in his early 20s at this point. He's anointed, uh, he's been anointed king by Samuel, but he doesn't become king until sometime in his early 30s where he actually ascends the throne. So can you imagine going back to when you were in your 20s or if you're in your 20s now or whatever, of what it would have been like to have a 10 to 12 year period where literally every day you're waking up and you're wondering, are they finally going to catch up to me and kill me today? So to be fair to David, you know, David has his struggles. He has his bad days, but we need to give David a little grace as well. And, and we certainly see that with our God. What we also see in the story of David is that when David is not being faithful to God, God is still being faithful to him. And we need to remember that. We've sung about it today. We've heard about it today. You know, from Mike and Nicole, you know, we may not be doing what we should or what we could, but God always will. God was still providing for David and protecting David, even when David didn't deserve it, if you will, because none of us do, which is why God relates to us in and with grace at all times. So I want us to keep that in mind as well. Even on our worst days, God is still at his best. <laughs> he never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always watching over us and caring for us even when we're not giving him a thought. So we can hopefully be encouraged and settled by that. I also want to, at the beginning of this message, give you the verse for today. Uh, and it's a verse, actually, that comes from Psalm 56, verse 3. It's a verse I'd like you to memorize or meditate on because it's a really short verse. And it says this, David writes, When I am afraid, I trust in you. <laughs> when I am afraid, I trust in you. Now, we're going to see. Today, he's not doing that, but he's learning to do that. When I am afraid, I trust in you. In 1 Samuel 21, we read that David and Jonathan have parted. 
not knowing whether they're ever going to see each other again on earth or not. And that Jonathan is David's dearest and best and closest friend. And we saw from last week's message in the Psalms that David now feels all alone. He doesn't have his friend by his side anymore. And even though he knows God is with him to some degree, he still feels all alone. And where does David head at this point in his life? Well, Samuel tells us he heads to Nob. He heads to the priest of God, Ahimelech, at the house of God. Now, this is where David starts off actually really well. And then it goes downhill for the rest of the chapter. Because this is actually what we should do when we're feeling fearful or in trouble or having any kind of need at all in our life. What should we do? Run to our priest. And I'm not talking about our earthly priest. I'm talking about our heavenly priest. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. A high priest that is not incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses. But was in every point like us, tempted and yet without sin. Therefore the author of Hebrews says, let us come boldly or confidently under the throne of grace that we might find help in our times of need. Run to our priest, the one who identifies with us, who understands human frailty and fragility and weakness and all of that, and yet is without sin. He's the perfect high priest, one who is our advocate, one who is our mediator, our go-between, if you will, one who sympathizes and empathizes with us. But then also David is a great example of where else did he go? Well, he knew that the priest of God was located where? In the house of God. Where did he run? He ran to the house of God. It's usually one of the things that we do as Christians when we're in crisis mode. We either stay away from the house of God because... We're disillusioned by the circumstances and situation of our life and we're sort of maybe mad or angry at God for allowing these things to happen to us. So we take out our anger and disappointment and disillusionment and discouragement by staying away from God's house. But others do just the opposite. When they're in crisis mode, they become even more faithful to the house of God, and you can find them there, because they know that's really where they need to be and where they should be, and that's where David goes. He runs to the priest who's in the house of God. By the way, David's name means beloved of God, and one of the things that David is going to learn through his journey of running for his life for the next 10 to 12 years is many things, but one of them is to see God's love even in and through our adversity. See, again, many times when God allows adversity to come into our life, we question God's love. God, if you loved me, why would you be allowing these things or this situation to happen to me? And what David is going to learn 
And what David is going to try to teach us is that don't ever question God's love, even in adversity. God's love is always right there. It's constant. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So David is learning that as well. But after arriving at the house of God to the priest of God, that fear that he has is beginning to well up. In fact, in verse 10, to take you over there for just a minute, you'll see in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21 that on that day, David arose and started to flee from Saul. Well, he was really continuing to flee from Saul. And, and where you have David right now in his life is his life is characterized more by what he's running away from than what he's running to. Now, let me emphasize that. Because you and I, we can get caught in that same place in our life where our life is characterized more by running from things than running to God if you will. And it should be just the opposite. No matter what time we're dealing with in our life, our life should always be characterized by primarily pursuing God and running to him rather than trying to run away from someone or something else. We can have situations or fears or things that come up in our life and we actually try to outrun them. Struggles, addictions, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, things that, that, that we are dealing with in our life. And we spend more time trying to run away from that, and it's always going to run us down rather than running to God. The way to deal with things in life is not to run away from the thing, or the, it's to run to God. And David wasn't there at this snapshot in his life. His life was being characterized more by what he was running away from than running to. So he comes to Ahimelech, the priest, in Nob, and he starts to lie. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? David comes up to the priest and says, oh, I'm on a secret mission from the king. And uh, I need some stuff. I need some provisions for me and my men. Now, immediately, you see in the text that Ahimelech, the priest, he senses that something is off from the, from the start. He has this, this sense of fear. He questions David, why are you all alone? Why is there no one with you? It's like the priest of God knows there's something going on here that just isn't right. It's not settling with me. Listen, that's what priests are capable of. And why I say that is because you and I, if you know the Lord as your Savior and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then the Word of God tells us today that each one of us is a priest before God. Therefore, we also have at any moment in our life that capacity, that ability through the Holy Spirit to be able to sense when things just aren't right. We might not be able to put our finger exactly on it, but the Holy Spirit sort of stirs up our spirit that there's just something not right here, something using not kosher here, if you will, right? 
You've probably had that at times in your life. You can't explain it. You, you don't know exactly what it is, but there's just that uneasiness and that sense that something isn't right about this situation, right? That's where Ahimelech is. And as he questions David, David just keeps lying, right? He's not on a secret mission. He's running from Saul, right? Uh, and yet he's saying, we're hungry. We need some provisions. And so he asks Ahimelech, do you have any stuff here? Do you have anything that you're willing to share? Ahimelech says, well, we don't have any ordinary bread here. All I have at my disposal is this consecrated bread called the bread of presence. And if you were with us through our study of the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights before we went into Acts, you know what we're talking about. It was that bread that was put on the, the table that was very symbolic and significant for the people of God because the bread of presence was always there to remind God's people of his faithful presence and provision which is interesting, isn't it? Because in a sense, at this point, as David is on the run, he's sort of questioning, is God providing for me? And yet here in the midst of running to the priest and running to the house of God, he's asking the priest, will you provide something for me? Now the priest was sort of in a quandary because the Old Testament taught that that particular bread when it would be disposed of and then fresh bread brought out every day was only to be used and, and, and eaten by the priests, right? It was to sustain them. So David's asking for sort of the rules to be bent, if you will, a little bit. Interestingly, and I want to get off on this too much, Jesus actually references this in the New Testament. There was a day where Jesus and his disciples were hungry. And they were walking down the road and it was on the Sabbath and his disciples start to eat sort of the, the, the wheat a little bit. And, and the Pharisees are calling Jesus and his disciples out. How dare you eat this on the Sabbath day? You're breaking the rules. And Jesus says to them, have you not read what David did? when he went into the house of God and asked the priest for the bread and the priest gave him that bread. And Jesus is basically saying, David didn't do anything wrong because you're missing something here. And that is this. You're missing the intent of why God said what he said. He goes on to say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and then Paul even sort of picks up on this when he says, the spirit of the law gives life, but the letter of the law kills. And so Jesus is saying, when it comes to need, human need and, and human life, it takes precedent over that. God never intended for somebody to starve to death just because that was primarily what that was to be used for type of thing. So David isn't necessarily doing anything wrong. It's just this had never been done before. And for Ahimelech's, you know, commend him, he actually gives David this bread so that he and his men have something to eat. The point I want to make is this. David is afraid at this point. His fear is causing him to lie. 
his fear is causing his life to be characterized more by what he's running from than what he's running to. You'll also note for the first time in our story of David, he's not praying to the Lord. He's not consulting the Lord about what he should do. It's like he's just on his own trying to figure it out at this point. And yet God is faithful to him. God is using the high priest, Ahimelech, to provide for David and his men the needs that they have at this moment. You move ahead in the story and you find a note of something that's going to come into play huge later on in the story in a couple weeks. And that is that one of Saul's servants, in fact, he is the leader of Saul's shepherds and sheep, is a guy by the name of Doeg the Edomite. Now doesn't that guy just sound like the bad guy? Doeg the Edomite. And he is. He's going to be a bad guy. And it says that he just so happened to be there while all this was taking place so that he sees what's going on. So keep that in mind because we're going to come back to him in a couple weeks in the story of David. Okay? But then you come to this part of the story. Now that David has some provision, now he wants some protection. He wants to feel safe. He wants to feel secure. Now remember, this is the young shepherd guy that stood up and slew Goliath. And then so note what happens. He says to Ahimelech, hey, Ahimelech, do you have a sword or spear around here somewhere? Says, I was in such a hurry to do the king's business that I sort of left all my defensive and offensive weapons, my equipment behind, and I've got nothing. Well, Ahimelech says, well, the only thing we have, oh, talk about God being in the details. The only thing we have here is the sword of Goliath whom you slew in the valley of Elah. In fact, it's, it's wrapped up in this garment and it's hidden behind the ephod. And let me say this, the most precious prized possession in the tabernacle, as we learned in our study of Exodus, was the Ark of the Covenant. That was, because that was symbolic of God's presence amongst his people. But the second most prized and significant thing in the whole tabernacle was actually the high priest's ephod. It was this vest that on that vest was the precious stones symbolizing all 12 tribes of Israel. It would be used by the priest on the Day of Atonement when he went into the Holy of Holies, you see. And, and so notice something. Here's how prized and significant the, the, the sword of Goliath is. Where is it stored? It's stored behind the ephod in the tabernacle. It's like it's a reminder also to God's people that God watches over and protects his people and the, the sword of the giant who was slain by the little shepherd boy is, is a reminder to God's people that no matter what force or how big the enemy is, God has got his people, okay? Notice what David says. There's nothing like that sword. Give it to me. Now think about this. This shows the different place that David is in spiritually at this snapshot of his life. Here's a guy that just a year earlier was taking stones and a sling out to slay the giant Goliath. 
He didn't need much because he knew the Lord was with him. And it really wasn't a matter of what weapons he had. As long as God's presence was with him and he sensed God's presence with him, he'd have went out there with anything knowing that he could take down the giant. But now at this point in his life, it's almost like he needs these things to surround him to make him feel safe and secure. Something that he never needed before that was of necessity, now all of a sudden he needs it. And notice what he says, there's nothing like it. Really? I think there's nothing like your God, David. In fact, isn't that what the Bible teaches us? There's no one or nothing like God. And God is really all that we need. In fact, even the name Michael, the great archangel, or the prophet Micah, their names mean who is like God. David is now enamored by Goliath's sword. Like, if I get Goliath's sword and I can take that out of the tabernacle with me, I'll feel safe and secure. Really? That's now what you're going to trust in rather than trusting in your God to watch over you and save you? And then notice what he does. Then he does something really strange. He heads to Gath. Gath is the hometown of Goliath. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't even make sense, right? Do we not think that those people down there in Philistine territory in Gath are going to remember what David has done and who David is? And that's exactly what happens. Notice what he gets there, even what the servants of King Achish, the king of Gath, says. Is not this David the king of the land? That's a huge statement. Even the enemies of God recognize God's, if you will, anointing on David, even though they wouldn't explain it that way. It's like, aren't you the king? Well, maybe, but he certainly wasn't acting like the future king at this point. And notice they go on to say, yeah, this is the guy that they sing and dance about. Saul slain his thousands and David is slain his ten thousands. Did he really not think that he would be recognized in Gath? Did he think he was going to fly under the radar? I mean... David is about as conspicuous in Gath as Madonna would be in a convent. (laughs) He's going to stick out, as we used to say, like a sore thumb. Did he not think that that was going to be the case? And then notice what happens next. After he hears all this, notice what he begins to do. It says he begins to think. Oh, we always get our troubles when we start to do that. (laughs) He started to think about what they were saying, and it started to well up that fear within him. You see, at this point, David is leaning more towards his own understanding than he is trusting in the Lord with all his heart. And that's what I see happen to us so often in our life. 
something happens or we hear something from somebody else and all of a sudden we, we start to think. And not that God doesn't want us to be thinkers because he wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The problem is we need to make sure that our thoughts are in alignment with who we know him to be and what his word has revealed. And many times we start drowning in our own thoughts and we start coming up with all these wild scenarios about what ifs and we start to allow the fear then of what we're hearing from others and what we're seeing going on sort of eclipse, using something that again happened this week, eclipse our view of God. And God becomes eclipsed behind our fear and we lose sight of him. And that's exactly what's happening to David here because it goes on to say David became hugely, greatly fearful of King Achish. Now think about, again, the irony of that. This is the same young man that stepped out fearlessly and courageously and basically says, who's going to go fight that giant? Well, nobody else is. I'm going out there. And he had no fear at that snapshot of his life. But now, all of a sudden, he's allowing this king, this earthly king, to cause him to be afraid. You see, at this moment in David's life, he is standing in awe more of this earthly king than he is the king of kings. And you and I can do the same thing. We can start to allow earthly, worldly things to again get in the way of the king of kings. And so this is not David's finest hour. But notice what fear caused David to do. And, and the reason this is important is because fear can cause us as human beings to do crazy things. No pun intended. Because David's getting ready to act insane. Fear can cause us to make crazy decisions and choices in our life that we would never make. But man, when fear sets in, we can do some crazy things. And that's exactly what David does. The Bible says he starts to scratch with the wall, against the walls with his like fingernails and he starts to let the spittle and saliva of his mouth run down upon his beard, and he acts like a madman. He literally is pretending to be mentally unstable. This is the future king of Israel, and look at how far now he's allowed fear to affect him. It's not his most honorable, dignified moment in his life. And yet it's because he's afraid that he's acting this way. You and I need to make that connection. Sometimes we act a certain way and do certain things and choose certain things because we're afraid. And God never wants us to make choices or decisions or to act a certain way out of fear, but out of faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. Never out of fear, always out of faith. And so here's David going around, you know, acting like a madman. 
In fact, he must be a pretty good actor because he's convinced the king of Gath, he's really crazy. Because <laughs> the king of Gath ends this chapter by saying, uh, get this madman out of here. You know, this guy's displaying his insanity in front of me and I don't even want to be near him. Because in that culture at that time, honestly, they thought that being around people like that was like a bad omen. It was like bad luck. So get him as far away from me as possible. Now, David achieved, if you will, deliverance from the king of Gath through his display of insanity, but do we really think that that would have been God's way for him to deal with it? No. He wasn't trusting in God to not only provide for him, but to protect him at this moment. So what do we learn again from this snapshot of David's life? Well, if he's a man after God's own heart, someone that the Bible talks about more than any other human character in the Bible, only Jesus has more written about him than David does in the Bible. And yet, he stumbles, he falls. And I hope that will be an encouragement to us because his humanity is showing here. And there's going to be days and there's going to be times in our life where our humanity shows. It doesn't mean we don't love God. It doesn't mean we're not a devoted worshiper of God. We know David was, but at this time, he opened his life up to fear and fear rushed in and he was doing some crazy things. Lying, acting like he's crazy, not consulting God, questioning maybe God's provision and protection in his life, trusting in the sword of Goliath more than the Lord of hosts. And yet through it all, God is right there with him. God is going to see him through this low time in his life. And he's going to come back out of it because his life is predominantly characterized by I'm moving forward with God and I'm making progress. And yet if you looked at David that day, that was not his finest hour. But we don't have to let that day or that season define us either. Don't let the enemy keep you down and keep you discouraged because of your failure at some point or some snapshot in your life because we're all going to be there at times. All of us. But here's what David learned through that. He learned that his God was faithful to him even when he was not being faithful to his God. And he was learning because he wrote about it in Psalm 56, verse 3. When I'm afraid, instead of acting like I did in 1 Samuel 21, I'm going to learn to trust in God. That's my choice next time I'm in that situation. When I'm afraid, I will trust in God. You. You know, in closing this morning, I want to share this story with you that I know is very familiar. Because just like David, too, there's times in our life where we may feel, because of the circumstances of the situation, does God care about me? I mean, does He really care about me? 
And the answer is yes. He absolutely cares about you more than you could ever imagine. And let me share a story that illustrates that. You know the story very well. Jesus tells his disciples one day to get in the boat. They're going to sail across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus gets in the boat with them. And Jesus goes to the back of the boat and lays down and falls asleep. Halfway across, this huge storm comes up. And the the boat is taking on water and the disciples are freaking out. And the disciples, we don't know exactly who, if it was all of them, it was just some representatives, they go back to Jesus sleeping in the boat and they wake him up and here's what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are about to die? And you know what Jesus did? First of all, he got up. He said to the wind and to the sea, be quiet and calm down. And the Bible says it was dead calm. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, Why are you so cowardly and fearful? Have you still no faith? And then the disciples look at him and go, whoa, who is this that the winds and the waves listen to him? Jesus is going to say the same thing to us. Those days that we look at him and go, Jesus, Do you not care about where I'm at right now in my life and what I'm going through? And maybe even to the point where we think we're going to die like the disciples. Do you not care? And Jesus is going to tenderly and lovingly look at us and go, why are you so afraid? Why are you so cowardly? Do you still not trust me? Do you still not have faith? in me. This chapter in David's life, literally and figuratively, is a great reminder to all of us that we need the Lord continually. There is never a second of our life down here on earth that we don't need to lean into the Lord and trust him. And so as Nicole and I were thinking about the landscape of the day, we wanted to choose this song, Lord, I Need You, to end our service with today. And I hope that this song will just remind all of us of how much we need the Lord and how much we need to trust the Lord. And listen, the Lord knows there's going to be fearful things that come up. He doesn't say we should never be afraid. He says, when you are afraid, trust in me. Would you stand, please, as our worship team comes to get set on the platform and we'll close our service in prayer. Father, we thank you today that, Lord, you use the story of this young man, David, to still encourage us, inspire us, challenge us. Lord, we can get a lot out of the study of your word seeing what others went through, trying to follow them when they 
were doing well, but trying to avoid the pitfalls that maybe they fell into. And God, we confess and we know and we acknowledge we're never going to do it perfectly down here on earth. That there's going to be times where we're going to fail and we're going to fall. But God, we thank you that even on those days and in those seasons, God, you're always faithful. You're always there for us. And God, I pray that because of that and so much more about you and what you've revealed to us, God, that we know down deep in our heart, God, we can trust you in all things, for all things, and through all things, God. There's nothing we'll ever deal with here on earth, God, that you can't get us through. You've got us. And even, Lord, as we think about Israel, Psalm 121 says the protector of Israel never slumbers or sleeps. God, you've got Israel. They're your people. Lord, you have a purpose, Lord, that's higher than what we can ever imagine. So, Lord, may we not fret and may we not fall into fear and, and all of these things, God, but may we just continue to trust you every hour of every day. God, we never grow out of needing you. So, God, may we declare our need of you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.